Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Dan Johansson. And I'm Maureen Smith. And today we are joined by Buffy Wong and Hannah E.E. E. Epstein from Nothing Without a Company. How are you all doing today? Aloha. Aloha. <laughs> doing pretty good so far. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and Buffy, you have a you have a full Hawaiian name that I would love for you to share just because like though you go by Buffy yeah we are talking about Hawaii so (laughs) okay well so my full name is Buffy uh Wong. so yeah most people look at the name and they're like (laughs) that actually (laughs) happened with me I was like I was before we start recording. I always say like, "Oh, like you know, I want to check everybody's name pronunciation." I looked down at the card and I was like, "Oh." <laughs> but, so I'm I'm glad that the name is on the podcast. I'm glad that I did not butcher it. No, it's <laughs> perfectly do you, fine. Then do you then pronounce it, and then people just get this like beautiful glazed look over their eyes because when you said it, I was like, "That's gorgeous." You know, I've had that happen before. I've yeah. had people when I see you know, "Lelia ikahale puna wang," and they're all like. Oh. Really? <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> so pretty. So pretty. You're not going to remember it. Well, and sorry for to like jump into a random tangent, but can are there like I know a lot of like Western names have a lot of naming traditions. Can are there like a lot of Hawaiian native naming traditions? Like where does it come from? Is it like a, a location based thing? Like do you know what I mean? Like. Oh, I'm not sure. I know my middle name was given to me by the kahu or um, the priest from my mom's church. Okay. But it was a Hawaiian priest. She's Hawaiian Protestant, so. Yeah, I'm always interested because yeah. that's the, like, last names are always really interesting, too, as far as, like, like tracking, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm sitting here realizing how just how little I know about Hawaii. Well, I I'm so glad like, that y'all are here. I'm like Hawaiian Protestant. Wow, <laughs> it's like basically Protestant but in Hawaiian yeah. language. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Damn. yeah. All right. Cool. That's so right. Well, let's let's get into like like um, contextual stuff before we start getting into just like things that we want to know about Hawaii, which I sure. there's a lot of those, I hope that's okay. Um, the, but the first thing we, we should talk about is, um, can you tell uh, our listeners a bit about Not One Batu? Sure. So Not One Batu is a mother-daughter relationship play that centers around the world of meth that happens um, in Hawaii pretty intensely. Meth has definitely taken over a lot of the indigenous people there. That's pretty much the general. Pretty much what? Yeah, the generalization. Um, yeah, it's it. It's really. It's more about than just the drug itself. It's it's the relationships that you see between people who are on this particular drug, and you know the intensity, the the humor, the you know the camaraderie at times and some, and of course there's the violence that comes with it mm-hmm. in um in relationships so it's kind of a mixture of all of that you know well i think that's um that's really interesting because um you know substances generally and and i think meth specifically like there when you bring up a certain substance everybody kind of has the like stereotypical experience that they think mm-hmm. they know about do you know what i mean mm-hmm. like a lot of especially like with being like a post 
not post, because, like, obviously it's still happening, but, like, this idea of, like, the drug war and, like, drugs blanket statement, drugs are bad always, like, this very, you know, especially being in America, being in, like, the way that, it, like, in the Reagan administration and the Nixon administration, all of these things. So, like, there's a lot of, my point with all of this is there's a lot of fog to that experience. Mm-hmm. And so um, what I think is is interesting is kind of that, like, taking that lens and bringing it to a um bringing the uh this a- these actual lived experiences to a play could would you mind talking a little bit about that or about what specifically sorry the um <laughs> the well because the way that you were mentioning kind of like these different experiences like i think that there is a myth that someone that is um that is that is a frequent user of a substance is um like their experience is very stereotyped but Mm. like they're 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 still human you know like that humanity element is something that i think that a lot of like mainstream drug conversations really miss right and there's that thing where like people think of met heads and they think of no teeth and scabs all over their face and there's a lot of functioning meth addicts where you can look at them and you can't tell that they're using or have used recently. And so I think that a lot of this play is about those people. The people who pass, kind yeah. of, so to speak. Absolutely. Well, yeah. So this is a really, and I, I'm kind of finding like one of the things I know I really want, am interested in, in trying to understand being a like white dude. I'm like trying to figure out how to ask these questions. But mm-hmm. what I'm realizing with, with my experience and, and from maybe other people in our, that, that listen to our podcast and maybe some people in the audience is that like, there's a lot of um, mystif- demystifying that I feel like this work um, has the ground to do. And that's kind mm-hmm. of what I'm really kind of interested in so I guess my my question here is, um, what has been... Because this is... So the Not One Batu is now... This is its second production, correct? Yes. Um, yeah. And its first production was in Hawaii. Yes. Um, but what has... Has there been... As you've been kind of like... Obviously, as it per, was performed and um, as you've been talking about it, have there been things that you've wished that people got more about it besides it just being about like substance abuse and Hawaii and I I mean not that it's just about that but do you know what I mean by this question it's I'm trying to figure out how to entirely word it what I'm trying to really say like, is like like what do you like ultimately you know besides you know the the setting of Hawaii and drug use like what are what are the other like important takeaways that people can take mm. from this story is that what you're trying to Kind oh, gosh, of. yeah. I guess communication and how we as people try to communicate with words, but sometimes that's not always the best way. Or mm. hiding something by saying something else, I guess. I don't know. I'm not really sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. that's really interesting. Yeah. Well, and part of, in speaking of communication... This play is written in Pigeon English. Yes, Hawaiian Pigeon English. So that is, like, would you mind talking about, like, the role that the language plays in the play? And, you know, yeah, I'd just love to hear all about that. It's so interesting. That's perfect with communication because, so, Hawaiian Pigeon English is a language now on the U.S. Census for Hawaii. 
for Hawaii. Cool. And it's definitely one of those languages that's a mixture of not only Hawaiian and English, mm-hmm. but Filipino, Cantonese, Mandarin, Korean, Spanish, um, Portuguese, Portuguese, Spanish, yeah. Puerto Rican. So we have this mix of languages kind of mashed up, almost like poi. I don't know if y'all have ever heard of poi. Yeah. Yeah, so it's poi. It's a poi language. So it's a mixture of It's a, it's a Creole language. language, basically. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And it's a way that in the sugar plantations, it would ship over all these people from all over to work the fields for sugar and pineapple. And they had to communicate somehow, so they built this language in order to... to talk and say hey you like cow cow you like eat um with and with hand motions i think hand motions are really big in pigeon as well because it explains how the context in what you're saying mm-hmm. yeah yeah wow yeah and, and, I, what I, <laughs> and i'm realizing kind of what i was trying to get at before is something that i think is because one thing i'm going to say too for people listening if you haven't already do check out the um we are actually currently live streaming but one of the things that you do that's really valuable i find is um a lot of the work that you've done with facebook live streaming talking in pigeon english and like kind of coming to this educational lens with this project and that i think is kind of what i was trying to get at before and just kind of fumbling around Mm -hmm. but i i think it's (laughs) so interesting that um because you know that's something that we talk about a lot on the show um is like how the burden of education can so frequently fall on like marginalized folks and i think what is really powerful about what about what you're doing and the way that you're doing it is that you are like that that education is at the forefront and i, I guess that mm-hmm. that is kind of where the question i'm thinking i was thinking about before is just trying to ask like how what what is that like and like, like <laughs> does, that, does that even make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It's, well, it's interesting because when I meet people for the first time, they hear him from Hawaii. They're like, "Oh, do you live in a shack on the beach? Yeah. Or, like, yeah, do you yeah, live yeah. in a hut? Like, how does that work?" And I'm like, "I don't know. Would you read in your history books about Hawaii?" Right. And they're like, "Oh, it became a f- state." Like that's all you get in a lot of the mainland, which is what we call a continental U.S. is the mainland, mm-hmm. and so that's all you get is it became a state at some point, but that's all they really tell you, and all you learn is from the travel magazines, and a lot of people don't even know it's a chain of islands, not mm-hmm. just one island, right? So when the volcanoes that have been erupting, a lot of people have been asking me, oh, how's your family? And yeah. I'm like, my parents are on Oahu. What are you talking about? Like, yeah. the thing is on the big island. So there's that thing of no one's really, like, doesn't understand that Hawaii is a chain, that it's a, a different type of place. The only palace ever on U.S. grounds is in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Like the only actual monarchical palace. Yeah, there's only one palace in the U.S. and that's in Hawaii. Yeah, um, because we we come from a um, mon- um, monarchical society, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> and I, I guess it, I mean I when I came here, I had eight different people literally ask me, "So are are is your family okay? You know, are they are they away from the volcano?" And I'm like, "I'm not on that island. <laughs> well, I'm not on that island." And I know. <laughs> confusing because like the big island is called hawaii but the whole state is called hawaii and there's mm-hmm. eight islands in the state of hawaii and like, so I'm, it does hawaii get confusing. island or or big island instead yeah. you know it's having to clarify <laughs> <laughs> well yeah I, 
that's so interesting too because like the the idea of Hawaii is so um, uh, like there's so much tourism wrapped up in the American perspective of Hawaii like mm-hmm. it's it's that like there are people that probably went there that have been there that think that that was that's their experience right. because a lot mm-hmm. of times when people are a tourist in a place they are a tourist in a place in the area that they happen to be at for the hotel and mm-hmm. you know obviously there are people that that travel more and do more of that i'm not saying that everyone that travels is mm-hmm. a monster but but like, <laughs> I, I, I think it's it's an interesting thing where you know you speak to um your experience of actually coming here and and um meeting people and that um that's kind of touching back to the thing before is like it's just such an interesting thing of because the thing with education is like a lot of times you know people always say that good teachers find that you know that was the the thing about that was so remarkable about like mr rogers for example everybody's talking about mr rogers Mm -hmm. the documentary is coming out um but what was so remarkable about him and about good teachers is about meeting people where they are Mm -hmm. and i think that um in so many ways what you've done the way that you're doing it is doing that and and it's um it's notable because of just how much how weirdly foggy that because it's because hawaii's part of america there's no reason for us to not know not understand like it culturally like I mean, there are. But then, I don't know. Too. I don't understand Kentucky. Yeah, True. like yeah, there's yeah, like yeah. certain <laughs> states where I'm like, why are there two Dakotas? Yeah, right. Yeah. So like, yeah. there's yeah. certain things within that that I'm like, oh, okay, but like Hawaii and Alaska specifically are so physically separated that you would think it'd be grounds for someone to be like, oh, I want to do some research on that or like right. learn yeah. more. Yeah. Yeah. And also the fact that it was once its own country right. at one point. Mm-hmm. So you would think that they would want to know more. But unfortunately, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. And there's always misconceptions of Hawaii. You know, I mean, people who come to visit, you know, they all, the same thing that people ask is like, oh, you know, do you live in a grass hut? Do you, you know, how do you, how do you communicate? Is coconut wireless? And yeah, you know, that's what we got over there. Coconut wireless. That's freaking offensive. That's horrible. But then if you live there, that's just the way of saying word of mouth. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I heard from Coconut Wireless. <laughs> coconut you got in trouble. Yeah. And tell your mom. Go tell your mom. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. But like that's um what's cool about the educational part is we're not trying to specifically educate. Right. We're trying to get people to come in and go, Oh wow, that's a whole different language and there's this deeper part of Hawaii we never even knew about mm-hmm. and within that we are educating. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like Absolutely. the goal isn't yeah. that, but that's a really awesome side effect. And we're working with Aloha Center Chicago, which is on Lawrence Avenue. It's the only specifically Hawaiian center in the Midwest, I believe. Um, And Lani Aloha Lee runs it. She's the artistic director. She used to work at um, the music school for a really long time and for about 20 years and then decided to start a center just for indigenous um, Hawaiian people, Pacific Islanders, people who are Hawaiian at heart, 
um, who just want to celebrate the culture. And so she does hula classes, she does ukulele classes, island fitness, you can just go and talk story with her and she'll educate you by teaching you how to do something. Mm -hmm. Which is a really interesting way, I think, that our culture tends to educate. So it's not just sit down and watch this thing, it's let's communicate, let's do something, and then in doing that thing, I'm going to drop some history in there that you never even realized I was doing. Yeah, yeah do, you, do you find that that is, um, well, you just said this, but I, I, I wanna, I'm kind of more um, interested in this idea, which is um, teaching, uh, teaching contextually. I think it's really mm-hmm. remarkable, and you, what you said is really true to me, which is that it seems that Hawaii is very good at this. Like, it seems like it's something that, um, that, that and I, I guess where I'm getting to is, what do you think it is about that experience that makes it so easy to, to help people understand through context like that? Hmm. I'm not sure. It's, I think if your hands are busy and your brain is a little busy, there's things that'll soak in there that never would have if you were, like, completely focused and, like, I'm gonna remember the thing. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm so interested because, like, you know, seeing this, you know, seeing social media marketing for this show, like, there have been videos of, you know, pidgin English being spoken and also, like, dances being done. And Mm -hmm. so, like, the, like, it, it rings true to me that, like, the kind of the best way to teach about Hawaiian culture is by experiencing, you know, the different cultural cultural aspects of of being Hawaiian, like dance, mm-hmm. like the language. Um, now, there is is there a lot of like movement and dance in this play? So in the first act, this is really cool because we built this first act just for this production. So the original production was just one act, 60 minutes, straight play, audience is in a fourth wall. This first act is going to be super awesome because it's an immersive experience. You walk into the coach house at Burger Park and you are in Hawaii and you are surrounded by pigeon speaking people. And so you communicate with the ca- with the actors but they're in character so they're in full character and then aloha center comes up and they'll do about a t- 15 20 minute set of either ukulele or hula or a mixture of both or slack key guitar there's a musical and or dance element to that and then you are invited and will be participating in making music with the cast cool so then that will take you outside to the actual second act which is the straight play Wow. Yeah, Yeah. I'd love to talk more about um, how music plays in, because I think that is a really um, remarkable... You know, one of the things that we've done in the past is um, this thing called we call Hearing in Color, which was like a concert series of classical music of of, uh, cultures that are not white specifically. Mm. And it was interesting because a lot of like, we started off with um, Latinx folks, the second one was um, black folks, and then the third one was actually the Philippines. And it was so interesting because um, uh, one of the things that's really powerful about, and and maybe for people that have listened to the podcast for a while and heard that that interview, like touching on that, this musical element and and kind of touching on this idea of passing on culture and history and, and all of this stuff contextually, um, it seems really powerful. And um, what was so remarkable to me about 
the Philippines is how um, because the I, this idea of like people that are island folk having to be good at traveling and good at, at mm-hmm. passing messages and things like that like just that that's just something that you don't think about often enough and well and so I wanted to specifically I wanted to get back to the music because I think that's something that is so like there's a ukulele sitting right next to you right now oh god and like the, the like, <laughs> like the background music <laughs> like it, it pervades so much you know like I, I it is so a part of the world at at large and I yeah I wonder I'm just wondering if you could speak a little more to that like um about uh music <laughs> as part of Hawaiian culture and what what had you what when you were bringing this to a second production and adding these ele- this multimedia element the dancing the movement and the music um what made you want to do that and what ha- what do you feel like that provides to um people's experience of both the play and this of understanding Hawaiian culture. I mean, I think for the music stuff, because we were partnering with Aloha Center Chicago, they do music. Yeah. Like that's what they do. They do Tahitian drumming and some all kinds of other stuff. And so that really brought that in for us. That really brought in the music for us. And then our director, Rachel Slavic is really good at building ensemble through voice and movement. And so she was doing this ensemble work in a rehearsal, and she was like, I think I'm going to have them do it in the first act. And I was like, yeah, and I think all the audience is going to join in. Like, we're going to make them do that. So it's, like, naturally built within this show. But I think specifically for the Hawaiian culture, I can only speak for myself, is that we come from voyagers. We're the last place that was voyaged to, right? So if you think of Moana, that's like pre-voyage time, right? Yeah. And that's pre-everything. And so they eventually got to us, and they eventually built Hawaii, like Hawaii through that. Adding on to to Hana, um, from my experience and my Hawaiian cultural background, um... Music itself is a really, really big thing in Hawaii and in Hawaiian culture, um, pre-contact as well. Everything was passed down orally, you know, um, stories, genealogies, everything was passed down through chanting. And post-contact, when when all the other instruments were introduced, um, it was... It was taken and they created their own style of music um, with with the the instruments that was brought over from from the Holy people, Mm -hmm. Um, and they created their whole this whole um, new genre of music that's now thankfully recognized uh, in the Grammys. You know they recognize Mm -hmm. Hawaiian music, Um, and I think as Hawaiians. Hawaiians are natural innovators, and if something is given to them, they will take it and they'll run with it and create something for themselves to create their own identity. And um, music is the same. Uh, After Hawaii had become the 50th state of the United States, there was a time where, you know, a lot of Hawaiian people didn't know what what to do with with themselves because basically their whole identity was stripped away 
But then in the 70s, there was a resurgence of Hawaiian culture and what we call the Hawaiian Renaissance and where a lot of young Hawaiians would get together to stand up and say, hey, I am Hawaiian and this is this is me and, and such and would create these amazing pieces of music that, it, that rings true to a lot of us presently in Hawaii. I mean, I'm thinking of the Sunday Manoa and thinking mm-hmm. about Peter Moon Band and, and, oh, and yeah. so, you know, all these amazing people from these amazing, you know, jet setters from the 70s um, who created a lot of the music that we strive to today um, and that have a lot of stories in their music about staying strong and you know we're we're small people but we're we're you know we're loud and proud <laughs> you know yeah so that's a lot of a musical the musical aspect the musical influence right because yeah. during conali- con what is it colonization conal colonialization, colonialization. <laughs> through that we weren't allowed to speak hawaiian or dance hula or play our music or there was a lot that they told us we could not do and a lot of that would be done in secret. So all of the prayers, all of the chanting, all of that would just be done behind closed doors. So the colonizers wouldn't find out that mm-hmm. that was still going. And that's yeah. why the Renaissance was so important for us is because it was finally like, no, we don't care. We're going to be our own culture. We're going to do what we should have been doing for the past however many hundreds of years yeah i mean it's this is so remarkable you know one of the, the things i kind of had a couple different thoughts running through i'm going to try and sum them up quickly the the thing that was that became so quickly daunting about trying to unpack so much of this because this this thought of like it's uh it is a very um artistically or organic experience for people to want to celebrate identity their own identity like that Mm -hmm. and it's um it it is uh it was it's been surprising to me the more and more i realize that so many um uh cultures that have been that have gone through a colonization process Mm -hmm. there is this very rich and vibrant and what um I'm trying to think of how to word this. A lot of, I think a lot of um, white minds would think that it doesn't fit like the, you know, call, like, like the, this idea of a renaissance has such a, has such a, like for, for people that like Maureen and I, who we did opera, we studied opera. Mm-hmm. And so like these ideas of, um, you know, like studying the Renaissance, studying music, studying classical music and Baroque music, like it get all these things get so highly put on a pedestal. But the only reason is for that that hasn't happened for so many of these cultures that have come to and found their own identity is because of unpacking this like fact this colonization aspect. Like right. that is so and I one one of the things I'm so thankful to and for in the age that we find ourselves is that the people that are here are willing to talk. And I'm so sorry to come, but keep coming back to this, but I just keep, I just keep feeling this <coughs> feeling of like, I'm so thankful that you're able to talk about this in this way that we can understand that the reason why, like the, the, uh, like, and I think that what is amazing to me about, you know, uh, the, our experiences, um, 
with hearing color. I don't know why I keep talking about hearing color, but like it's. But what's cool to me about this and that and hearing y'all talk about this now, like and hearing about how um, this loud and proud aspect that you're talking about, that's so powerful. And I, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to uh, like figure out how do you feel that um that your that that those experiences are being heard do you feel like there was a time where they were heard less do you feel like there's been they're being heard more or do you feel like that they're getting that there are things that are getting lost in translation does this make does that make sense yeah i'd say there's i mean there's certain things that will always get lost in translation no matter what you do um and that goes for all cultures not just ours sure. um and I think that, oh, oh how do I, I'm trying to think, figure out how to word this correctly. Um, there's the, and there's certain things that have kind of, kind of pushed, pushed the way for, you know, for us as indigenous people to be able to move forward faster. Like, mm-hmm. uh, for example, um, uh, the movie The Descendants, yeah, uh, The De- Descendants, uh, written by Koe, what's her last name? Can't remember her last name. Um, that had the move that had uh, George Clooney in it, and he played a predominantly white man, you know, um, owning this piece of land that belonged to a chiefess who was his great 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 grandmother, something like that. Um, and there was this one part in the movie where <laughs> I was just, I was blown away by. And he's talking to his cousins because his cousins want to sell the land because they're going to get a lot of money back. But then he's the one who's the sole, he's the one who makes the big decision. Um, and ultimately he says, you know, I'm done. I don't want, I don't want to sell this land. This is ours. This was all, this was given to us. He goes, excuse my, excuse my bad language. But um, he says, you know, I get it. We're howling as S-H-I-T. And, <laughs> but we were given this land to protect it, and it's our responsibility. And for some, for 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 this woman to write those words, and for for a predominantly white man to say that on a screen, is amazing. That's it's that makes headway for people like us, you know. Um, and then, of course, you have the Moana aspect mm-hmm. and, and such. Jason Momoa. Jason Momoa. Right. You know, you get the um, chick that's in um, the show, The Greatest Showman now. Yeah, and Kella Settle yeah. in The Greatest Showman, yeah. who is my spirit animal, and I love her forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're slowly seeing more and more representation of yeah. specifically yeah. Hawaiian or people from Hawaii itself. Yeah. Which is really cool to 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 see because we have yeah. lots of you know I, you keep bringing up the music of the colors and there's plenty of Filipinos in our cast yeah. like majority of our cast yeah. here is Filipino. Filipino yeah but they but you know they 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 look like me you know so it it works out where it, because Hawaii is such a melting pot of multiple cultures not just hawaiian Mm -hmm. but you know filipino japanese chinese korean um predominantly asian but there's a whole mixture of of different ethnicities and it's as long as you look kind of (laughs) ethnic you know (laughs) and a lot of the cast too have said that this is their first time playing their own ethnicity in chicago it's really powerful though and the other thing that you know i've 
for whatever reason, for whatever reason, I feel like there are a lot of Filipino opera singers. I, but it's always <laughs> we interesting. We do know to a lot talk, of Filipino opera singers. <laughs> I, it's always interesting They're amazing. To talking to people They're, about oh, it. It's oh, incredible. my gosh. I love well, that. It's the so, concert that we did, it was it was curated by Filipino singers. Wow. We, we just kind of, like, helped them... We, we just kind of, like, facilitated the organization of it, but, like, mm. it was curated by Filipino singers, performed by Filipino singers, like, the pianist was Filipino, like, wow. it was, it, you know, it was, and it was one of the best evenings of music I have ever experienced in in the quality of music the music was beautiful but also just like the talent mm-hmm. it was amazing there's a lot of talent, talented Filipinos I swear because I come from a, a musical theater background so because being from Hawaii majority of the parts that I would always want would go to all the Filipino girls because they were so good <laughs> I was like why no I want that part yeah I would end up you know and, and I totally understand in, in one way you know with all of the actors in the show, you know, there's like the first time they're playing their own ethnicity. Um, I didn't start playing my own ethnicity till about two years ago when I when I first did this show. That was the first time I ever got to play my own ethnicity because um, I was playing, you know, either Hispanic or I was playing, you know, African American, um, you know, su- such and such things that I could kind of match with. Right. But now, you know, um, since I switched it up a bit and tried to do plays instead of just musicals I've been able to play more my my own ethnicity which is it's amazing it's amazing would you mind talking a bit about your character sure um so I play Ma and Ma is um she's a meth addict um and she's been on the pipe since she was in her early to mid 20s and doesn't look like she's gonna get off of it anytime soon. And uh, the main character, Honey Girl, is her daughter. And you see, basically, see this uh, very strained relationship between the two characters. Um, and the last time I played Ma, um, when we premiered it at uh, in in Hawaii at Kumukahua Theater. Uh, and Harry Wong was our director. We had an amazing cast. Um, and I remember thinking to myself, how do I play a character who is, you know, 20 years older than me? <laughs> and how do I make it real enough to portray the kind of things she was going through? Um, and luckily, I I had an amazing um co-star and she was kind of like my rock my anchor and everything and we we got through it together and i remember her just telling me you know i got you i got you you know we got each other we're gonna make it we're gonna do good and that alone would help me generate the the confidence that i needed but on top of that and this was something i didn't want to share immediately with my fellow cast members was that I, I knew that lifestyle, I knew what it was, what the, the uh, the meth culture was like because I'd been in it, so, it was kind of like in my arsenal. <laughs> I didn't mm-hmm. tell anybody <laughs> until after the fact, and when I finally let it out and said that yeah, I've, I've that I was I was once like that, um, and I think it kind of opened people's eyes, um, 
you know, I'm not knowing. You never know who's who's been through that, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I surprised a f- quite a few people um, just because of how my acting choices and things like that, because of my experiences in that lifestyle. I'm I'm so I'm so in, like that must have been so powerful to have the opportunity to you know not only you know this being the first time that you were able to portray someone with your you know cultural background but also such a singular experience like yeah. how like how how was that uh, it, it, it was it was tough. It was yeah. very tough. I there's no other way of putting it. I mean, ev- after every show, you know, my my co my co star and I would need to go and you know have a drink or two just to calm down. Right. You know, because it, it's it's that intense. You yeah, know, Danielle Danielle Zalapani, who's in the movie Waikiki. Yeah, coming she's, out. She's eventually. coming out. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's. an amazing an amazing phenomenal actress anyway so she and i would you know kind of after the show we'd have to have a drink just to calm down and you know um i think just because 60 minutes of just constant you know boom 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 by the end of it you know we're both in tears and you know looking all hash and just (laughs) you kind of it kind of takes a lot it takes a piece of you for you know for a good hour afterwards until you come back to yourself um and there were times where it was very easy and then there was there's times where it was very difficult to get through just because you know it can be exhausting it could be um it could mess with your head a little bit sometimes but I was willing to go through that because I felt it was such an important story from such a non-biased point of view, you know, because there's so many people out there who try to judge mm-hmm. and, and you know, oh, that's horrible. You'd be a horrible person if you do stuff like that. But from this play, it's totally not judgmental. It's just what it is. It's the reality of what goes on on a daily in a daily person's life with you know in that culture um in the meth culture so yeah <laughs> this really from um touches on something that i think is little talked about in the idea of what representation can do and obviously i think mm-hmm. that there's some amazingly powerful things that representation can do um on a for uh, on a cultural level but you know um yeah, I, I think about it a lot with um, mental health. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not equating these things. I'm just saying that what I, I think it's, um, you know, I think that in, in some ways representation can become a buzzword. And, and, it, and it, in some ways, as it kind of becomes more and more mainstream, it can sometimes look more like tokenism even. Mm. And so to hear, um, I just i'm sorry that i'm fumbling over words i just i what i i'm finding myself overwhelmingly wanting to say is thank you um Uh yeah that that is one thing but i and i I also i just you know um i'm so sorry i don't have a thing i'm so sorry okay well so you know with with this being like so real and so like genuine like uh, for for you hana Mm -hmm. like 
what like what went into writing such an unbiased view of of you know what this experience is really like a lot of tears probably i would say um so i started writing it at columbia college chicago um carson becker was my instructor during a playwriting class and she was actually in hawaii for a while as the literary manager of honolulu theater for youth so she found out i was from hawaii and then all of a sudden we were talking in pigeon and like shooting the shit back and forth and then she goes oh why don't you write a play in pigeon i was like what that's possible like it never <laughs> came to my brain that that was a thing and we had read night mother in the class and we were supposed to do these scenes focusing on two people and so i wrote a bunch of short vignettes all centered around honey girl and this experience of this meth dealer who is a former addict um in my personal life, I was never a meth dealer, but I was an addict. I'm consistently in recovery is what I like to say. And so finding this mother-daughter relationship through the inspiration of Night Mother, through talking with Carson Becker about how the language itself can be represented in a play, and then pushing that with <coughs> along the same parallel as drugs and how that is also very large and so it was really like a lot of nights just sitting down writing these scenes and making myself feel like shit because these characters don't have it easy none of the characters in my mind have it easy there are some that are comic relief it seems or that seem one-dimensional in a lot of ways but in the writing of it they're definitely real actualized people for me and so having to write their stories was definitely that thing of, oh, shit, like this is really heavy and intense. And so it's lightened a lot with comedy mm -hmm. because I feel like people have to have a moment to laugh and breathe or else how are you going to process? Well, I love that one of the things that you just said is really powerful to me, which is recognizing that um, even a character that brings comedy to a play mm -hmm. is not a one-dimensional character. Like, right. And just like in life, like people go through hard things mm -hmm. and have complex lives and have like a wealth of, of things that happen to them good and bad and they may and but then they also find humor in those things mm -hmm. they they bring they bring positivity to like the people around them and i think that um you know i i think there's there's playwriting that's being done that's that brings that to the table but um uh, so here's an actual question. The what do you think that does um, for like a, on a cultural level of you know the thing that I keep kind of coming back to is this idea that like this is the like mainland premiere, you know, mm -hmm. so like that. I got to imagine that a lot of the kind of thinking about about this is is bridging that that gap. Right. Um, uh, yeah, have has that? How has that uh, kind of come across your mind and your preparation and things like that? Um, and sorry, does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. So like, part of it is like we wanted to do it in Chicago one because I live here. I've been living. I've been here for like thirteen plus years now, and so it's a place that I'm so used to. That's so diverse and so segregated. 
unlike Hawaii, which is so diverse, but everyone's your next door neighbor, here it's every three blocks oh, is that something else. Me out when I came here. Yeah. And like the my my uh, Lyft driver was telling me, oh yeah, this is where all the Puerto Ricans live. This is where the Vietnamese yeah. live. This is where. Right. I'm like, how do you do what? Because we're so you integrated with each other in Hawaii you, you know you can't help but know your neighbor's secrets you know yeah. kind of a thing and you know you're you know on your left is is somebody who's Vietnamese and the other and then on your left is uh, sorry your right is Vietnamese and your <laughs> left is probably somebody who just moved in from uh, I don't know from Micronesia or something so you mm-hmm. it's a huge mixture so when I came here and they said it's so segregated but it's very diverse at the same time I'm like Mind blown. Well, well, and then on our end of things, it's like, to me, like, I grew up in Milwaukee, which is 90 minutes north of here and is even more segregated than Chicago. Like, the idea of, of living in such an integrated culture, like, I mean, to me, that sounds amazing, but it's also, like, so incredibly foreign to me. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. like, yeah, no, I just, I don't, no question. Just, like, yeah, like, (laughs) like, just such such a that would be such a difference Mm. right and then so (laughs) when thinking about like bridging these cultural divides it's looking at those streets that are in between those cultural divides that they actually do live next to each other so when i'm thinking of bridging hawaii and chicago that's why i look to aloha center chicago and the cultural centers and the indigenous centers and aic the american indian um center out here so like we look to each other to be able to find that common ground to find you know and we're all human Right, we have that in common no matter our ethnicities or our backgrounds or anything. Like we have that human element and so not one but two, I think what we try to do is say this is our human element. We're not grass shacks, we're not tiny umbrellas and pineapple drinks. Mm-hmm. We're not these certain things, but we are human. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um that's actually uh we have a few minutes left. Um, so the last thing we do with all of our guests is a one minute plug for anything they have upcoming sometimes that's very obvious like letting people know where they can get tickets and attend a uh, the second production of a of a work that we've just talked an hour about Um, but we also love hearing (coughs) shout outs to other folks that are doing dope work um, or any uh, media that you're consuming self care or otherwise books, TV shows, movies, music stuff like that Cool. So for Not One Bought Two, you can get your tickets at nothingwithoutacompany.org. It runs from June 27th to July 21st on Wednesdays through Saturdays at 7 p.m. And then self-care yoga at Burger Park on Saturdays at 10.30 (laughs) a.m. And then check out Aloha Center Chicago for all of your Hawaii needs. Even if you want to just stop in and talk story, um, the the hula girls right now, my hula sisters, are in the Big Island or going to be there by Wednesday for the World Hula Conference. So I just want to give a spiritual shout out to them for that. Yeah. Um, oh shoot, <laughs> me. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, definitely, if you ever make it to Hawaii, um, to the island of Oahu specifically, yep. let's make sure we get that right. Um, the island of Oahu. There's tons of 
theater delights for you. Um, there's Kumukahua Theater, which I do a lot of shows there. They're oh, yeah. amazing. And Kumukahua is actually producing Pakalolo Sweet yes. next season, which they is are. the second of the drug trilogy. So not Wambatu is the first, Pakalolo Sweet is the second. Yeah, so that'll be coming cool. this fall. Um, so yeah, uh, it'll be the artistic director there is Harry Wong the third, um, and the show will be directed. Pakalolo Sweet will be directed by Will Kahele. Um, so look out for it. You can check it out at kumukahua.org. Um, you can also check out all the other. There's so there's many other theater companies there that are all equally fantastic that do great work. Um, if you want to, ch- I'm gonna plug. I'm gonna plug in for my mom actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you ever want to do something that's very culturally different than what you're used to. Um, you're going to go down to Kapuhulu, uh, 762 Kapuhulu Avenue. There's a small shop that my mother owns. It's called Nalima Milihulu no Eo. And uh, she teaches traditional Hawaiian featherwork there. So you can give us a call at 808 uh, at org. So cool. Fucking, I love, the th- <laughs> I love the thought of like, Getting like deep cut Hawaii recommendations. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah. That is perfect. Don't yeah. do the normal tourist thing. No. Don't do the normal do tourist this. thing. Do no, this do, stuff. Do feather work. That's amazing. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you all so much for listening. I've been Daniel Johansson. And I continue to be Maureen Smith. If you want to keep up with what we're up to, there are so many ways you can do that. The first is to head over to scopymag.com. That's our website. We post all of our articles and podcast episodes there. There's a tons of stuff for you to check out. Um, otherwise, you can keep up with us on social media. On Facebook, that's Scopy Magazine. On uh, and we also, sorry, the the <laughs> the Facebook page is called Scopy Magazine. Um, we also have a Facebook group that we love and adore called Sounding Board, where we talk about a lot of different stuff. Lately, I've been sharing a lot of one of the other things that we've been working on. I always plug one thing at least. Um, is um, I've been work. I've been learning how to video edit. Well, I mean, I've always known how to video edit. But um, I've been playing a lot with sourcing um, non-copyright music and um, searching and understanding people that are basically just like... What we've been finding is there are a lot of people that are local musicians that are making very interesting kind of like ambiance music. Like like maybe if you're familiar with lo-fi hip-hop, it's a lot of that stuff, like that kind of... like people making them out of their bedrooms it's really interesting and so i've been putting that with videos of our cats and i've also started doing like time lapses of different neighborhoods in chicago which i'm really like excited about so you can check that out on our facebook page and on our uh youtube channel um otherwise you can keep up with us on instagram twitter and tumblr under scopy mag and you can also find the podcast that you're listening to now scopy radio at itunes google play and radio public under, yeah, under Scopy Radio. And I'm here to talk about subscribing. Uh, if you head to our website, scopymag.com, and go to our subscribe page, uh, there are a couple ways that you can do that. The first is to enter in your email address to receive an email every time we post something on the site. This is huge because although we post across the social media platforms, Facebook eats our shit. So uh, if you want to res- see everything we're doing and not 30% of it, Uh, then I recommend signing up for those email blasts. The other thing you can do is to become a member. At $5 a month, you're going to get a pin that has our slogan on it. It is beautifully designed by Zach Harris of Birds and Kings Creative Enterprises. Uh, And at $10 a month, you are going to get 
Um, you're going to be on the RSVP list for house concerts that we're going to be hosting. Stay tuned for that. We need 10 people to sign up for that. For nine. that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We need nine people to sign up for that, uh, for that membership level in order to be able to produce it. So get on that. Uh, and if you're interested in advertising opportunities, please feel free to reach out to us at scopymag at gmail.com. So give a little, give a lot. And if you can't give, then listen, participate, and share. Cool. Thanks again so much for listening. Go out and make something. Yep. <laughs>